Uh, if you have your Bible, will you just go ahead and open with me to Colossians chapter 3? We have a lot, a lot of work to do today. Uh, so if you have your Bible, Colossians 3, we're going to be in verses 5 through 7. We'll read that, and then we'll dive in. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I just thank you that your word does not hide from difficult topics. That your word is not void of speaking into the issues that we deal with today. Lord, I thank you that you are a good God. That your creation is beautiful. Something to be enjoyed. Lord, this morning, I, I just know we need your spirit to lead us clearly. Lord, I, I know that we need the good news of the gospel to minister to areas of our life where we may be feeling deep shame. Lord, I need humility as I come to this topic. I need courage. And Lord, I also just want to be filled with pastoral care for the people that will be sitting under the sound of my voice this morning. Lord, would you give me wisdom? And would you prepare even now in our hearts, in our minds, Lord, the ability to hear your word for the glorious truths that are there? It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to do something slightly different today, slightly different from our normal going verse by verse through the text in order to get to the author's main idea, and there's a reason for this. There seems to be, to me at least, in this text, a bit of a divide. Let me explain what I mean by this. Now, the section of scripture that we're in should go verses 5 through 17, and that's what we're going to cover next week. But Paul seems to do something here in this moment in verses 5 to 7 where he separates a specific issue and calls attention to it separately from the other issues that he's going to address throughout the rest of this section of Scripture. So look at verse 5 for me for a second. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. I think a better translation there is greed, which is idolatry. The first century readers of this text would have, would have come to this letter as individuals in a culture that had varying opinions of what to do with your bodies, similar to our own culture. They would have come to this text with this question. Now, as Christians, what does this mean for our physical self? If we go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, we see this beautiful truth that God is reconciling all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Um, then in verse 22 of that same chapter, he says that he reconciled us by his physical body. What we have to take from this is that our bodies matter, and what we do with our bodies matters. But there, there are things in us as humans that are not in line with God's intended design. Now, Paul's language here is very specific. Put to death, therefore, what is immoral? 
Now, some of us will take this sometime and just think, okay, everything in me is bad and it's wrong, but that's, I think, a misunderstanding of this text. What this text is inviting us into is this recognition that not everything in us needs to be killed. Some things will actually need to be cultivated, and we're going to talk about that next week, but this week, I want to focus a little bit on the things that actually we are called to put to death. Everything in this verse... Verses 5 and 6 references and is related to the issue of sex. And so what I want to do today is, is make a recognition. This is something that I absolutely know is true about this room today. Every single one of us has a different idea of what that is and what that means. And in order for us to properly interpret this text and properly apply it, I think we have to understand and be on the same page of what the Bible says about sex. And so, just so you know, that's where we're going today. <laughs> and I think there's a reason why it's important. Look at verse 6 with me. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. This is a very serious issue. If God's wrath is coming upon these things, I think it's important to know and get clarity on what this means for us. Now, here's what I know is that I am stepping into a very vulnerable space today. This is a, a space with a lot of hurt and a lot of baggage, and I wanna be careful there. What I also know is that I do not have time in the next, I'm going to try and finish in 47 minutes. <laughs> I don't have time to do this topic justice in its totality. I, I don't have time to minister to every single specific issue, but I want to be as careful as I can to set a vision for us of going forward of what God has gifted us with in sex. And then I want to turn the corner and say, what does it mean to walk contrary to this? Now, there's, there's two responses in this room. I, I, I know this from knowing human beings. I know this from having done some marriage counseling in the past. There's two responses when the issue of sex comes up. One is, yes, finally he's going to talk about something real, something practical to my life. The second is, please don't do this. Please don't go there. Please do not step into this space of my life where there's already enough baggage, there's already enough shame, there's already enough difficulty. Please, can you leave that alone? There's a, there's a lot of shame and guilt here. There's a lot of hurt here. There's a lot of brokenness in this area. And so what I want to invite you into this morning is to please hang with me through the entire sermon. I have not come to bring bad news today. I, my responsibility is, as a preacher, to bring the good news of the gospel to every area of life. And so here's how this is going to look, and I just encourage you, just hang, hang with me, stick with this sermon this morning, because I think it's really good news for us. We're going to talk about what sex is, the creation of sex, what it was intended for. We're going to move on to the fall of sex, what sex is not, and how it's broken in our world today. From there, we are going to dive on in into the redemption of sex, how the gospel redeems this area of life. And finally, we'll move to the redemption or the restoration of sex, what we can look forward to. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28, we see the creation of sex. It says this, it says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis 2, through 24 says, And the man said, This one, speaking of woman, at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Therefore, 
A man shall leave his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. Both man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. This is absolutely beautiful. I want to talk about this for just, just a minute. I think this is really important for our foundational beliefs about this issue. God created us in his image. The ability to be fruitful and multiply is actually part of image bearing. Here in the garden, we have this invitation, be fruitful and multiply, this command to be fruitful and multiply directly after this truth that you have been created in the image of God. That's really important for us to grasp. Sex is not something that is inherently bad, nor is it something that is only used for combating sin. Here we have this promise given, or this blessing given in the garden, be fruitful and multiply, where sin is not present yet. And it's given as a gift. God's blessing in this space is be fruitful and multiply. So there's two things I think we can take from this that are, I think, implicit in the text. The first is having kids is a blessing. That's a blessing, and this is partially what sex is. It's the way we fulfill God's commandment. It's the way, in some senses, that we experience his blessing by walking in obedience to the command. The way of having kids is a blessing as well, if you understand what I mean. The act of procreation is a blessing. So here we see in these texts, we see that man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. They become one flesh, and then we get this beautiful tagline that they are naked and they have no shame. Now, here, right here in this space, we have a picture of what sex is originally intended to be. It's supposed to be a place of no shame. It is within the garden Within God's perfect design, man and women, woman are one flesh, naked, no shame whatsoever. And I think there's a couple observations that we are just needing to make from this because I think the context of marriage is really important for us when we talk about sex. And so that's this. Marriage is one man and one woman. That, that's clear, implicit from the biblical text. God designed sex to take place within the context of a one-man, one-woman marriage. Not just between a man and a woman, but specifically a one-man, one-woman marriage. And Jesus affirms this in Mark chapter 10, verse 8. He says, the two shall become one, man and woman becoming one. So a couple things we have to take from this. One, it's a man and it is a woman. The second is, don't let anyone tell you that polygamy is affirmed biblically. Just because something happens in the Bible doesn't mean it's something that God is happy about. Genesis 4, verse 1. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. As I mentioned prior, we don't have the time to get into everything with this issue. So... Bear with me as we're moving quick. Genesis 4, verse 1. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. The, the Hebrews had multiple words for love. Similar to the Greeks, um, not similar to Americans. We have, uh, and the English language, we have one word for love, and we use it for everything. And so what happens is, is we kind of misunderstand and lose some of the ideas that are implicit in the texts of Scripture. Uh, in the book, The Mingling of Souls, there's three specific words that are brought out that I think are really important and helpful for us in this discussion. There's three specific Hebrew words that build off of each other that set a framework for us of what's happening within marital sex. The first is rayah. It is a friendship. So Proverbs 17 uses this word when it says a friend loves at all times. This is the foundation for companionship, the foundation for human friendship. 
And so that's the foundation for human friendship is a love by the name of raya, companionship, friendship. And it flows into the second word and builds upon the second word. So inevitably, every single friendship comes to a point, a breaking point where you're either just a regular companion or you go to a deeper level. And that deeper level in the Hebrew language is called ahava. It's a, a love of the will. It's the moment when you find out that your friend is actually crazy. And you have to determine, you have to weigh your options. Am I going to stick it out with this person or am I just going to keep him at a kind of like companionship level? It's the moment where you ask yourself, do I love this person enough to put up with their crazy? Do I love this person enough to stick it out through their weaknesses? And this love, this ahava, this love of the will is to say, I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. I see that you are crazy, and I'm sticking it out. My wife uses this word with me every day. <laughs> I actually think that this is most parenting love. You're insane, and you're a tornado in my home, but I'm sticking it out. So there's this this companionship that makes way for you're insane and I love you. Deep, committed love. Which lays the groundwork for Dode. You see, in order to even get here, you've got a foundational friendship now rooted in committing to standing with each other's weaknesses, with the promise to not go anywhere. It's not just friendship. It's deeper than that. It's commitment. For the Hebrews to even get to the place of the word dode being used in context, which is marital love, you had to have raya, ahava, companionship, and commitment. That lays the groundwork for Dode. For the Hebrews to get to this place, they, the place of romantic sexual love, it required friendship, deep friendship and deep commitment to one another. Only then was it possible to experience sex the way it was designed to be. You see, Dode, the word Dode for love, implies a deep knowing. It's a, as I mentioned earlier from the book I was working with, it's the mingling of souls, not just a physical act, but an intertwining of our deepest parts coming together in one flesh. It's union. To think about sex with God's design in mind is to see it taking place within the context of strong friendship, rooted in strong commitment, where you are known, valued, and cared for at a deep soul level. This is the biblical context for where sex should take place. So sex is a one man, one woman, marital, takes place within the context of a one man, one woman marital union. And it is something that is built upon the foundation of companionship and commitment and deep soul knowing. The other thing I think we have to grab about what sex is and, and what's important for us. It, it, throughout scripture, we see a couple things. We see perversions of what sex is, but we also see an entire book dedicated in the Bible to the glorious nature of sex and to the good gift that it is in the book of Song of Solomon. Now, we're not going to do an exposition of Song of Solomon right now, <laughs> but this book is not simply about sex. We believe that the Bible is about the good news of God who created us and that we then fell away from him, but he has incited a redemption plan for his people and one day he will restore all things. And Song of Solomon is part of that story. 
But that's not all it is. It also gives us an insight into what God has gifted us. It is a good gift of marital love. It is not just for childbearing. In fact, childbearing does not show up in the book of Song of Solomon, and yet it's all about sex. It is a good gift for men and women. Sexual desires are God-given. They are not a result of the fall because they picture the deep knowing that we are called into with God. I mean, how else can you explain that there are parts of the human body that are simply created with no other purpose than for pleasure? That's important. God has done something great in this gift. Childbearing is certainly a part of it, but it is not all of it. It is something for you to enjoy as a gift from God. Sex, though, is to be enjoyed within the context of a monogamous, mutual giving and receiving, one man, one woman marriage union. That is what sex is, and it is a good, glorious gift to you, and we're going to talk about how it points to the gospel at the back half of this sermon, but before we get there, we need to talk about what it isn't. We need to talk about how it's been perverted. You see, God's greatest gifts to us are often the things Satan will attack the most viciously. If he can get us to say, God just isn't good here in this area. He's halfway to victory over you abandoning the faith. And so what he does is he takes God's good gifts and he twists our view of them. We see this happening with so many things. God gifts us with his law as a a vision for human flourishing, some things to follow in order to understand how he created and ordered the world, and we turn it into legalism, which puts people under an understanding of the law that is that God is always angry at you. (laughs) And we do this on the opposite side, with God's gift of grace to us. We'll say, well, if God has given me grace, then I never have to do anything. He'll just forgive me for everything I've ever done. It's amazing. And these two things, legalism and a grace-based, free-to-do-whatever-you-want living, both of them lead to death. They're lies of the enemy to turn God's good gifts to us into something that leads to death. And Satan has done this with marriage, and he's done it with sex. He has twisted our view of it in such a way that it only can ever lead to death if we view it in this way. Here's what I want to start with here. Here's my starting point for this next segment. Bear with me. I know that many of you want me to attack simply and solely the ideologies of our world. And I'm going to do a little bit of that. But I'm actually going to step into a space of how we've taught poorly on this in the church more than anything else. Because here's, here's what I think. I think that what's going on out there is largely in part to a misunderstanding in here. You see, I, I don't feel like we've cast a super great vision for what it is that sex is. I don't feel like we've invited people into a secure, beautiful space. And instead, I think that we've invited people often into the church and we've taught often in the church uh, abuse in marital contexts. And so here's what I know stepping into this space. Some of, you, some of you may have heard some of these teachings before. Some of you may have applied them to your marriage. And, and it may have worked for some of you. But what I also know is that there are many of you who have heard teachings from the church on sex that have led to more abuse and more frustration and more hurt and more brokenness in your life. And what I want to do today is I just want to call some of that out as just the work of the enemy. And so I'm definitely going to deal with some ideologies in our world, but I'm going to spend a bulk of my time dealing with some areas that 
maybe you're hurt and maybe you don't know that you're hurt or maybe there's an area of your marriage that you didn't realize was broken. So we're gonna, we're gonna dive into that, but I wanted to give that disclaimer first. A few of the ideologies I think we see in our world about what sex is is that sex is fluid and free. It is something to be had, divorced from relationships. So we end up with apps like Tinder and Bumble, which are the ability to connect physically without any kind of relationship. Uh, They create sex as something that's fluid, fun, free for society. It encourages physical intimacy with zero knowledge of who the other person is. So what this leads to is viewing sex as purely being a physical act. But it's not simply a physical act. One of the ways we see the fall of sex so clearly is that we try to separate it from the way it was designed. You see, sex was designed, as we just spoke about, to work well within the context of a deep, monogamous knowing. A committed relationship with no one else involved. One man, one woman. There is supposed to be, within the act of sex, a level of knowing and trusting where we feel free to let down all of our guards because we are fully known and fully loved. We were not designed to just have sex with a body. We were designed to enter into a relationship with a soul. In the act of making love, we are not invited to make love to a body. It's not merely a physical act. It is the culmination of two human beings, body, mind, and soul, stepping into a vulnerable space of our humanity on a level of deep knowing, on a level of intimacy, on a level of exclusivity. Mutual giving and receiving. But when we treat it like something to be had, we degrade the other person. We treat them as a means to our own ends, as something that we can have, not a person to be cherished. Inevitably what happens is if this becomes our normal view, we dehumanize people. Sex becomes simply about me and for me. The next ideology I wanna go ahead and just attack real quick is this idea that we see so often in the church that sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, and then you're married and it's wonderful. (laughs) So you've been trained your entire life to think a good gift of God is terrible and it's dirty and it's wrong, and then automatically you're supposed to flip a switch. What this does is it devalues the gift of God in sex. So we train someone to think of it as bad and then they are one day supposed to just flip a switch and think of it differently. And what this does is it leads to a ton of shame and guilt and brokenness in marriages. Like the amount of stories I wish I could tell you of women who grew up in cultures like this who on their wedding night just felt like they couldn't step into this without sinning. Because their entire life, all they had been taught is it's bad, it's bad, don't do it, it's bad, it's wrong, it's bad. And then they step into this space which is supposed to be a moment of rejoicing. And all they feel is shame and guilt. All they feel is like their guard is up. Because usually how this works is most of the time women are the gatekeepers in the relationship, so the guy really wants to go further and the woman doesn't. So she's been putting up boundaries and boundaries and boundaries. And then you step into that wedding night, and can I just tell you, this is my story. This is my story of my wife being forced to be the gatekeeper in my relationship, where I would, I would try and, you know, move, move the flag down the field and she would hold the boundary line. Praise, praise the Lord for my faithful wife. But then what does that do? We step into a marriage context which is supposed to be two individuals who love and cherish one another, but because she's been the gatekeeper the whole time, here we have now brokenness because what was supposed to be a good thing was manipulated by me but also by teachings that it's always bad and it's always wrong, and so there's always guilt and shame attached to any idea of it. Here's 
I just said earlier in this sermon, one man, one woman in the context of marriage. I am not advocating for sex before marriage. In fact, I'm not advocating for physical interaction before marriage. What I'm saying is I think we need to be careful that we don't demonize a good gift because it's been wrongly used by people. You see, what we do is it implies that sex in and of itself is evil, but it really isn't. It's a good gift. And when we demonize the gift because of the way it's been misused, we end up denying the gift of God. And I just want to call that out. That's just a terribly vicious work of the enemy to make us think that God's gift is a bad thing. To take good gifts and so twist them that we would turn our view of God's good gifts into an avenue of death. The next ideology that I'd like to speak to is this idea that sex is every man's battle and it's every woman's duty. You see, this teaching goes somewhat like this. The man needs physical release or else he will step out on you or he won't be emotionally connected to you and so you need to have sex with him for him to love you and to keep him from sin. Men, listen very closely to me. It is not your wife's responsibility to keep you from sexually sinning. If you put that pressure on her, she's just gonna crumble under the weight of your expectations. And what you're gonna find is it may work for a time, but inevitably it's not gonna be enough and your wife will be enslaved to your sin and your lack of self-control and your lack of willingness to put to death something in you that's not of God. You see, sex is not just about your physical release. It's a deeply vulnerable connection that reflects the intimacy God desires to have with us a deeply known, fully loved relationship that can be completely free in intimate spaces. And how dare we turn that into something that is merely a physical release to get a husband to talk or to invest emotionally in his wife. How dare us pervert this good gift of God to be something that is about us? You see, we, when we cheapen sex to a view such as this, how could it possibly surprise us that sexual sin is rampant in the church? Because we normalize it. We normalize sexual sin, and then we place the responsibility on the women in the church to save the men. I want to be careful here. Women... You are not your husband's savior. Only Jesus can be that for them. You see, sex is not simply meant to be something that keeps us from sin. If it was, it wouldn't have been a gift in the garden. Sex is meant to invite us into deeper knowing and loving of another human being that reflects the deep knowing and loving that God desires to have with us through our union with Christ. We talked about this last week. Your life is hidden with Christ. One flesh union with Christ. Christ in you, you in him. You know what that means? That means that there's an intimacy that sex reveals for us that gives us just a small picture of what it is that's happening in our union with Jesus. Which means sex is not something that in the garden the enemy was like, hey, let me throw this at them. It's something that is a picture of who Christ is, right? So when Paul is writing his letter and he says marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, he's not out there looking for an analogy of Christ in the church. He's like, oh, marriage pictures this perfectly. No, he's saying marriage is a shadow of it. It's pointing to it. It was given as a gift because it patterns after who Christ is. 
because it patterns after what God's plan is. Sex is a good thing gifted to us so that we can see Jesus and we can understand God's heart more. Why would we turn that into simply a tactic to combat sin and not a picture of something much deeper, something much more beautiful? Sex is a mutual Catch that word with me. Mutual. Giving and receiving. It is not just about men having a physical release so that they'll actually talk to you. I'll go as far as to say I think that that's a demonic teaching that puts you in bondage. Husbands and wives. The other ideology I think we see is transactional sex. You see, this is where the man does enough around the house to earn the sex, but it's withheld any time he hasn't really pulled his weight, you know? Maybe the dishes have been left piled up a little bit more, and so, you know, then at that point in time, he doesn't have enough, so we can just withhold her. You know, maybe he hasn't really shown his love enough this week. He didn't buy me flowers, so I just think probably going to withhold sex till I get what I want from him. So th this is how this looks, like, you know, guy gets home from work, he eats like seven things, and then he's like, all right, I'm going to wash all seven of these dishes. He's like, hey, babe. <laughs> you see this? As if being an adult is somehow something that deserves sex. And so we turn it into this transactional relationship, like I do enough for you, and then I'll get sex. Again, I want to be careful here. Wives, it's tempting to use your body as a way to get things. But that's not what your body was intended for. And that's not what the act of sex is for either. It's not so that you can get what you want out of life. Men, Do your dishes, man. Like, for crying out loud. It should not be something that your wife is like, oh, look how sexy my man is. He actually watches his clothes. Dude, she's not your mom. Like, I, I get that we're helpmates, right? And so, you know, here, here's how this plays out. Like, in my home, I'm out of the house a little bit more. And my wife does a lot more laundry than I do. But how foolish of it would, be, would it be for me to think, you know, I have Friday off. I'm going to do a load of laundry and see what happens. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean... Let's, let's just talk about this for a second, and can we just be really real, and can we be serious to look at what this is from afar? If someone said to you, you do this for me, and I get sex, and I'll give you sex, that would be prostitution. That's not marital love. That's transaction. And it is a cheap view of what sex is. And again, it makes it about you. It makes it about your physical release. And it makes it about her making, you know, earning enough from it. I'll do this act as long as I get enough out of it. So men, you should be actively involved in your home, regardless of whether sex is on the table. You're an adult. Don't, don't take this view that you earn sex by what you do. And women, please do not cheapen your, your very body, 
You are God-given, created, filled with dignity, value, and worth to something that you can trade in order to get something. You are not a commodity. You are a daughter of the living God created in his image with inherent dignity, value, and worth. Let's walk in that. Now here's a reality of this, and this is, I think, an important disclaimer in this specific area. We're, we're getting practical. It's gonna be really helpful for you. So it is a lot easier to settle into sex if you're not thinking about the hundred things that need to be done around the house. And so husbands, you can love your wives by helping out in ways that maybe you wouldn't normally help out because it's gonna help your wife to settle. But if your motivation is for the purpose of getting sex, that's wrong. That's wrong. Now, this happens especially with kids. There's, I mean, kids are literally a walking tornado in the home. We've been having this conversation the last few days in our house. We're like, we feel like we haven't, like our house has not been put together since Thursday, but we've cleaned like seven times. <laughs> what is going on? Well, it's because we have a whirling dervish flying all over the place. And just, anyway. So, husbands, you know, you can pursue your wife by stepping into these spaces to help her enjoy sex more without thinking of all the things that need to be done. But the ultimate problem with this view is that we turn sex into commodity. Sheila Gregor says this, and man, if you want a good, helpful voice on these things, Sheila Gregor, I would really encourage you um, she has a book called The Great Sex Rescue, which I think would be really helpful for you if you're wrestling with some of these ideas. Uh, God sees sex not as transactional, where the husband gets what he needs and the wife gets what she needs, but as a mutual experience of deep knowing, a Hebrew word that encompasses a deep emotional and spiritual intimacy as well. Sex is ultimately a longing, a passion, a deep desire for connection. God created in each of us this longing for intimate connection with him, and he put that same longing in us for each other to mirror how he feels about us. When we're vulnerable, we feel a deep sense of connection, and that connection is very powerful. All right, we're talking about what sex is and its goodness and its creation. We've talked about some of the ways that we've seen it perverted. Aren't you so excited <laughs> that we have a redeeming God? I'm keeping you late today. I'm just preparing you for that. You see, for many of us, Intimacy can be extremely difficult. Um, this is, I, I just think this is the most vulnerable part of our humanity. And it has been in so many ways twisted and perverted from God's good design that we have a lot of baggage when we come to this. So like, I think some of the baggage that comes is like every marriage typically has two different drives. There's typically one partner who wants to have more sex than the other partner. And there's typically one partner who wants to have less sex than the other partner. Not always the woman. This is, uh, I think, something that we come across all the time, that some of us have just really struggled with this area. We can't get on the same page with our two different drives. We can't seem to communicate properly. It's been filled with conflict and challenges in marriage. Some of us were promised the sexual prosperity gospel, don't do it, and then you get married and it's going to be great. And then you got married and it was really difficult. And you thought, I must have done something wrong. There are some of us in this room who are caught up in sexual promiscuity and infidelity right now. There are some of us in this room who are caught up with porn addictions. There are some of us in this room who have dealt with same-sex attraction and have not acted upon it. And there are some of us who have dealt with same-sex attraction and have acted upon it. 
Some of us have entered marriage with a sex is bad view and have dealt with guilt and shame ever since, and it's caused a ton of pain in this area of your marriage because you've been conditioned to think of sex as something that's wrong, and now you can't enjoy God's good gift because Satan has twisted the view of it and used some teachings in the church to promote that view. Some of us have been told that we're responsible for our spouse's sexual sin. This has happened in this church. We have had a situation where a woman was told her husband would not watch porn if she would just sleep with him more. No. Don't you dare put that on that woman. So some of you in here are carrying the pressure and weight of your spouse's lack of self-control because you've been told that it's up to you to keep them from sinning sexually. Some of us in this room have been sexually abused. And so just sitting here today has been an act of courage and bravery. And that horrific thing that happened to you shapes your view of sex. If that's your story in here this morning, I just hear me. It was not okay that that happened to you. It wasn't. You, you do not need to feel guilt and shame over that. It was not your fault. And it does not define you. But it does affect you on a deep soul level. There there are injuries that each of us occur, you know, that's fell off my bike, healed. This is not one of those. This is a deep soul wound. I want to encourage you that you should find help. You have done nothing wrong. I want to encourage you to find help. And if you'd like to talk, I just want you to know that I'd be more than happy to point you in the direction of some resources that I think would be helpful for you. And you can find me after service or you can email me at austin at jesuschapelep.com. I'm also going to throw Amy under the bus here and Julie under the bus um, who have a lot more experience with this area than I do. You can find them and ask them for help after service if needed. Some women in here, sex is just physically very painful. And your, your husband didn't understand that. And so sex becomes an area that just incites pain and frustration and hurt. Husbands, I want to speak to this for a moment. Sex is to be found within the context of a monogamous, mutual giving and receiving one man, one woman marriage union. Your role is to serve and to love your wife in such a way that you put her needs before yours. And so I would encourage you just to enter that area of marriage with a lot of patience and love and grace. Just as God entered into your life in that same way with patience and with love and with grace. And I would say help your wife find help for that issue. It's serious. It's not something to be messed around with or just to work through it on your own. Like, it, it's okay. But don't find help because you want to get sex out of it. Find help because you want to see your wife whole. Yeah. Men, here's the call to you. Here's the call to me. If my wife got in a horrible accident tomorrow, and for some reason we could never have sex again, that does not give me license or right to step out on her. In fact, that means God has called me to singleness at that point in time. 
And so I would step away probably from full-on responsibilities here, and I would love my wife, and I would cherish her, and I would do everything I could to take care of her with no sex on the table. Why? Because it is a call to me to die to myself, to love my wife as Christ has loved the church. And that's, that's the invitation for you. To love your wife as Christ has loved the church. Because sex is not the ultimate goal. Instead, it's a deep knowing and intimacy that is shared which points to God's love and knowledge of us. You see... Here's what I know as I've gotten this far in this sermon. Every single one of us is feeling hit somewhere. I can say that confidently because I've been sitting in this for a week and I'm feeling it in multiple areas. Every single one of us is a sexual sinner in some way, shape, or form because we're broken human beings. But there's redemption for you. You see, we are members of Christ's body. You see, if you've received Jesus into your heart, it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your present temptations are. Here's what you must know about where you stand at the deepest level of your entire being, that by the grace of the cross, Jesus so drew us in that he so cherishes us now. We are to him his very self, his very heart, so much so that he cannot even endure the thought of heaven without us. We are his bride. And he chose his bride, in the words of Ray Ortland, from the wrong side of the tracks. Man, have you ever read the book of Hosea? The way that that analogy works? And God's saying, that's you and that's me? There's no situation that God cannot redeem. There's no situation that God cannot pull us out of and wash us clean. See, Christ chose his bride from the wrong side of the tracts, and yet he cultivates her so well. In marriage, what's happening, every time, every time a married couple takes their vows, they are reenacting the eternal romance. Marriage, sexu sexuality, God takes these things very seriously because they picture him. Human sexuality is, the, is telling the story of the eternal romance. That's why we are sexual beings. So therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. Some of us may have heard this message and we've heard monogamous, one man, one woman, and we're hearing, man, if that's the call, then the desires of my heart don't lend themselves to a romantic relationship. And so some of us in here may be called to singleness. Whether that's for same-sex attraction or no attraction, or maybe you're just at this point not able to leave your father and mother's home so you have no business entering into physical relationships with anybody, this is what I would say to you. Enjoy your singleness and the gift that that is. Your life will be much simpler. <laughs> The amount of energy and time you now have to dedicate to the kingdom and the things of the kingdoms is, is absolutely incredible. So married couples, make room at your table for single people. Make room at your table for singles. Make room for singles in your life. Let us honor and uplift those who have been called into the path of singleness and are doing so faithfully in a way that pleases Christ. Let's make sure that they aren't only valuable to us if they get married. Let's encourage them in their singleness for the kingdom. Men, 
Do you have a desire to be married? Get married. I, I don't know why that's so hard. <laughs> Can I? I'm just going to do it. I know this might not apply to many of you, but I think it's something that's important. I know so many women that are, you know, early 20s, late 20s, early 30s that are pursuing the Lord with all their hearts and the amount of men that are just jokes that are trying to pursue them or not trying to pursue them. They're just flirting. It's just a mess. Men. Be men. I don't, I think that's like what I got for you. Like, man, there's a, I think it's First Timothy where Paul gives like a list of things to do and he's talking about young men and he says young men have some self-control and then nothing else for young men but everybody else has a list and I'm like, man, if, if men can just have self-control, that's really, Paul's like, please, Lord, just, just control yourselves. My goodness, like, mm, let's, let's take the charge. Let's be men who cultivate women who love our wives so well that they are flourished, they're flourishing and they are thriving. I can guarantee you, I, I, I can almost tell you how good your husband is by how the wife is doing. I can, like, because here's what happens. A husband who cultivates his wife, who commits to her and loves her and cherishes her for more than just sex, you'll see that in the wife. You'll see how free she is, how confident she is, how her ability to step out into the world for the kingdom and to make a difference. Like, it's a beautiful thing. Men, we get to picture Christ in our love for our wives. So if you're single in here and you're a man, you have the desire, don't marry someone who marks all of your physical boxes. That's gonna fade. Find someone who you say, this woman loves the Lord. I really like hanging out with her. I could see us making an impact for the kingdom together. She makes me wanna grow up. Married men in here. To pressure or manipulate or demand sex from your wife is not of God. It is greed and it is idolatry. Cultivate your marriage. Love your spouse have a mutual giving and receiving view towards sex. It is not about you, it really isn't. Walk as Christ did, giving yourself up. Her body is your body. This is not an excuse to take advantage of her this is a call to cherish her. If her body is your body, would you be okay with yourself being abused? No. Would you be okay with yourself being enslaved or manipulated? No. Her body is your body. Care well for her. Enter in with patience, grace, and deep love. Women, mutual giving and receiving. I have less to say here because I'm not a woman, but I'm going to say some stuff because I think the Bible compels me to. It is a good and loving things to at thing to at times walk in loving unmanipulated, unforced, undemanded sexual love for your husband. Sex should be a good thing for you and for him. Marriages, 
my challenge for you this morning. Communicate. (laughs) Actually talk about these things. Uplift your definition of sex. Seek help from good resources. Can I just tell you, just because it says it's Christian does not mean it's a good resource. The second best selling Christian marriage book has a view that I think actually just leads to abuse. And it's advocating for it. In fact, in the part of the book that talks about women, it doesn't mention sex at all. It only talks about sex in the context of men and women just doing whatever their husband wants them to do in order to get love from him. That's wrong. Seek out good resources. So I mentioned one earlier, Sheila Gregor, The Great Sex Rescue. I encourage you to pick it up. But let's not leave on that note. You see, we've seen the creation, the fall, the redemption. Let's look forward to the restoration. One day, when we are all together in the Lord, in heaven above, in our resurrection glory, soul, body, and mind fully restored, Jesus will come to us. He will come to us as his bridegroom, us the bride of Christ. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will carefully wash us clean carefully remove every wound and we will finally be completely free. He will pick us up and take our arm as we rise through the heavens, passing by and surrounded by millions of cheering angels. He'll lead us to the Father who will bless us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Son of God who loved us, died for us, rose again for us, will lead us into the place he is preparing for us where we will enjoy him forever. No more distance, no more distraction, no more absence, no more temptation, but all our humanity redeemed and amplified and we will enter into the full consummation, all of our heart's deepest desires, forever fulfilled in Christ. Let nothing rob you of this. Give yourself fully and finally and freely to him. If you in here deal with addiction to pornography, I just, it doesn't give you what it promises to give you. All it is doing is teaching you to degrade human beings and treat them as commodity. All it promises is teaching you to devalue the beauty of sex. So I would just encourage you, if you're struggling with that, to reach out. Like, get some help. And don't wait till it's, like, too late. So uh, let me give an example. Um, this was, I came to this text earlier this week, and I read this, and I thought, I need to deal with sex. I need to preach on sex. I need to preach on what it is. Um, immediately, immediately I felt a pull in my desires in a different direction to like things in my heart that I was desiring that would not have been faithful to my marriage. And so here's what I could have done. I could have just been like, let me fight this on my own for a bit. And, you know, potentially fallen because every one of us, I I truly believe, is about five minutes away from that. Uh, So I could have done that. But here's what I didn't say. I just, I grabbed my phone. I texted Kevin and Maggie. I texted Kim and Davey, a couple of our elders and their wives here. I texted my wife right away and just said, hey, I'm feeling some things inside of me. Would you pray for me? This is where I'm headed with my sermon on Sunday. This is what it's already starting to do to me. I, I, I'm just avoiding social media because it seems like nobody's wearing clothes on there today. Like, uh, will you just be praying for me? And... Then Tuesday, I just shared with our staff, hey guys, this is what's going on. I'm 
Just appreciate more prayers for me this week. I'm feeling desires in my heart. Thursday night in our gospel community. Hey, guys, this is what's going on. Appreciate more prayers. I'm feeling the desires in my heart. Thursday at lunch, Kevin and Maggie took me to lunch and checked in on me. Like, how are you doing? What's going on? Man, I'm, like, hey, I'm a Christian pastor. I love my wife. I am, I am absolutely struggling as a sexual sinner. My broken, I'm broken in this area, but I'm not watching porn, and my desire was to go there. Like, I haven't watched porn in 10 years, and all out of nowhere, just headed into this sermon, this is where it went. Don't wait to ask for help. Hit it on the head as, as soon as it comes up. Maybe this morning, um, you've just been dealing with that, and I just want to encourage you, reach out to somebody and, and, and start to step into that space with them now. Not the next time you're feeling guilty or, or filled with shame because you've stepped out in that act. I, I want to also encourage us to uh, uplift our view of sex. Your sexuality is too glorious to not give it to God. And it is too glorious of a gift for us to devalue it in the way that our world would call us to. It is too glorious to cheapen with our modern definitions of it. So let's reclaim the glorious view the Bible has of it. If this has hit you in some way, you, look, not enough time to do it justice today. I know that. Uh, I'm here in the office this week. I'd love to have you call and reach out or if you guys want to just send me an email, austin at jesuschapelep.com, I'm more than happy to connect with you. I would also encourage you in your gospel communities to maybe talk to some people in there that you've noticed have a little bit more spiritual maturity than you. If you're not in a gospel community, go to a gospel community. If you today, you cannot make it out of this room without feeling like you need to talk to someone, come find me. Um, I'm going to just throw... Kim and Davey and Kevin and Maggie specifically who have dealt with some very, sorry, you guys have shared it in your testimony, so I'm sharing it. <laughs> dealt with some very difficult things in marriage regarding this issue. And so I just encourage you, find them and talk to them. Let's not, let's not allow Satan any more ground here. Let's pray.